0: Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 31 through uh, chapter 13, uh, verses 13. Uh, Again, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 31 um, through chapter 13, uh, verse 13. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Holy Trinity Church. This morning, my name is Pastor Dennis. Great to see all of you. Guess what we're going to be talking about today? Love. Okay. Um, Before we do that, let me just say welcome to uh, those of you who are, especially the new students, want to give a shout out to new students from UIC, new students from Northwestern Law School, Northwestern Medical School, Moody Bible Institute, the Art Institute of Chicago. There's 50,000 students within a few minutes a year. So shout out to all of you. Um, Probably no topic has been more lifted up in history than the topic of love. Everybody has something to say about love. I want you to think for a second about uh, the first concert that you've ever gone to, if you've gone to a concert. I think mine was cool in the gang. This is the 80s, okay? And after that, it was Lionel Richie. And uh, here's some lyrics from Lionel Richie. Everybody sing, everybody dance, lose yourself in wild romance, we're gonna party. I don't know this word. Karumu, fiesta forever, come on and sing along. That's the 80s, and that's sort of love as a party. Like you're dancing all night long. Uh, the person who opened for Lionel Richie way back when, when there were still dinosaurs on the earth, was uh, a woman named Tina Turner, who's 82 years old now. She had, she's like in her 50s then, I guess. Um, and she didn't sing so much about love as a party. She sang about love as something that sort of like crumpled up and tossed in the basket. Here's what her song, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Here's the problem with talking about love is it means so many things, right? I love, I love pizza. Don't you love pizza? Don't you love the city of Chicago? Don't you love the Chicago White Sox? How about here's just one more set of lyrics. Hey, I just met you and this is crazy, but here's my number. So call me, maybe, but here's my number. So call me, maybe, this is crazy. It's like every song that exists has like a different perspective on love. That one's like on the, the, this idea of like immediate attraction. And I'm not speaking down on that, by the way. Um, there is something definitely to chemistry, but, but what is love? And I'm just going to argue for a second that maybe our culture needs to rethink what love is a little bit. Maybe we need to drill down a little bit more into what you might call Christ-centered love or Christ-like love. Or biblical. What does biblical love really look like? Love that is magnificent, marvelous, matchless. Or as we sang a second ago, and maybe you don't feel this. Maybe you haven't experienced this love that's rich and pure and measureless and strong. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus says greater love has no one than this than that He lay down his life for his friends. And the Apostle Paul comes into this passage a little bit like Jesus coming into the temple. He's like tipping over tables. And he's boldly declaring to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, 13, what love really looks like and how the superiority, superiority of love, of Christ-like love, is, like, is above everything else. Here's my uh, premise for today. I'll just give it to you this way that love is the lever that God uses to lift the world. Love is the lever that he uses to lift the world, and each of us needs to learn how to use the leverage of love to, to build up our relationships with those who are around us. Just to pause, he is love. He came in love. He died in love. However unlovable you feel right now, he who is love, loves you. So what does it look like for the church to leverage the power of love? I'm going to just give you three headers so you know where we're going. The first one is from uh, chapter 12, verse 31, and then the th- first three verses, so 13, 1 to 3. I'm going to just call it the disaster of missing love. Probably weren't expecting that word, disaster. The second little section is the extraordinary character of love. So verses 1 to 3 are uh, the disaster of missing love, and then the extraordinary character of love is verses 4 to 7, and then the total superiority of love is verse 8 to 13. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, there are so many people in our world today, even all of us here, Lord, some of us don't feel like we've experienced your love rich and pure and measureless and strong. So Lord, we pray that you would show us this kind of Christ-like love that Paul is talking about here. In the name of Jesus, amen. So the first little header is the disaster of of missing love. And in one sense, you could also think about the orders like Paul speaking about the need need for love. And he's like dealing with misconceptions about what love really is. And then he shows the, the character of love, the nature of love. And then he argues for, like, it's supremacy. But here it's the disaster of missing love. And if you have an electronic device or a Bible, go ahead and keep it open. And take a look at the end of chapter 12, verse 31. There Paul writes, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, that might seem a little strange that he says that because he has just argued in the last section that we should... Sort of look for those who are the least among us or the overlooked gifts and lift them up. But the next thing he does, and this is right at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 12, he makes a list of gifts. Now part of the reason why he's saying this is because, I'm going to just give you the context of Corinth for a moment. So think of Corinth as being part of the Roman Empire, being uh, part of kind of being influenced by Greek thought. And Greek thought was very heavy on philosophy. So you have lots of, if you, we still read, even today, the Greek philosopher. So in that context, in Corinth, if you had, like, superior knowledge, we look up to you, right? If you, if you had, like, insight into revelation, we look up to you. There's a group of people that was going around at that, at that time called the sophists. They were orators, And people would pay them to speak. Now the term today is like a little bit negative because sometimes these guys would just stand up and they would say nothing. They would just be repeating words one after the other, saying not much of anything and continuing on to speak. That's how they talk. So they call them sophists. So what had happened in the church is that in the church, the people started really valuing the people who had speaking gifts, in particular, anybody who could speak in tongues. So you came into church in Corinth, and it was like a madhouse. Everybody was speaking in tongues all at the same moment. If you tried to, like, listen to what one person next to you was saying, you couldn't hear them. Not only that... Many of the people were speaking in what they called the tongue of angels. That is like some mysterious prayer language. So that's what the context was in, uh, the, in Corinth. And when Paul says earnestly desire the higher gifts, he actually thinks there are some gifts that are higher than tongues. And we'll talk about that next week, really. But Paul speaks in tongues, but he's, tongues, but he's like, that's great. I, lo- I wish everybody would speak in tongues. He does want that. But he's like, those aren't the most important gifts, plus you're using it wrong. See, what mattered in that church was speaking, not listening. What mattered in that church was like the clatter of noise, not the clarity of the teaching. What mattered in that church at that time was noise, not the nuance that would strengthen other people. So when people came into Corinth, everyone was showcasing what they got rather than encouraging what you got. Just wanna picture, think about music for a moment, right? So round of applause for our musicians who've been leading us week in and week out, thank you. Now Gabe was the drummer this morning, okay? Imagine if all of a sudden Gabe just started doing a, a, a drum solo. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that again, but. Uh, <laughs> everybody's like watching And singing along and worshiping and suddenly Gabe's like, check it out. I got some skills. And he's taking off. That's what was happening in the church of Corinth. Everybody's showcasing. Everybody is showboating. So it became all about like, check out the gifts that I got. Rather than thinking about, what about you? How can you contribute? So Paul comes in and he's like, man, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way in the church in North America than overlooking the other people around me who seem less gifted, perhaps, or seem like they have less of a voice. There's got to be a better way than just lifting up the celebrity pastors to the point where they think they have all the control, only to watch their lives spiral into adultery or conceit. Or arrogance. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than me building up, you and I building up our platforms. Paul, so Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way for the church. And the more excellent way is the Christ like love of Jesus. There's too much selfishness in the North American church today, there's too much self centeredness in the church, there's too much showboating. See, this passage in one sense, has kind of been taken out of context. When did you hear this passage last? Maybe it was a wedding, right? And there's the groom, all dreamy-eyed, can hardly stand on his two feet because he's so <laughs> swept away with the beauty of this woman standing across from him. But First Corinthians is a rebuke. First Corinthians 13 is. First Corinthians, Paul is basically saying, you know what? Love isn't like you. That's not how we usually hear it, right? Paul is telling the Corinthian church that without, if you speak in tongues without love, here's what he says, you're just like a clanging gong. Verse verse 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's what it was like to come in to the church context in Corinth. It was just like, Gabe doing a drum solo, except everybody doing a drum solo, saying, look at me, look at me, wow. And he goes on to the second gift after tongues, verse 2. If I have prophetic powers, this is like the, the, the Greek thought, right? If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. It's interesting, the progression, because he says, first he says, I'm a noisy gong. Then he goes and says, I'm nothing. You've heard that phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? In Corinth, it was, people don't care how much you care until they know how much you know. I know that just confused you, but they were all about knowledge, right? Prophecy, mysteries, knowledge. What's the more excellent way? Should we seek gifts? Should you ask God to walk you through 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, where the gifts are listed and say, God, show me which gift is is really my gift? Should you do that? Yeah. But if you do it, religiosity without love doesn't matter anything. In fact, he says, I'm nothing. Then he moves on to, like, the gift of generosity. Even, even doing the right thing with the wrong motives is dangerous. Even possibly martyrdom. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. God actually cares about our hearts. The last little section is, I gain nothing. There's no profit to you and there's no profit to the other people. My wife and I live uh, down in Hyde Park, near the University of Chicago. We lived there for a long time, and a new nightclub has come in, two doors down from us. But we're like on different sleep cycles, I think. Because they close at 2 a.m., and we usually go to bed at least by like 1.45 a.m. or so, right? Now we go to bed at like 10.30 or something like that. So every Saturday night, or for like the last 10 weeks, It bothers one half of our marriage more, a little more than the other half, but the other half tries to watch out for the other half as well. So anyway, what happens is at about 2 a.m., 250 people are released, and some of them have had some alcohol, and some of them are not using like their nighttime voices, (laughs) and some of them want to fight with someone else, and some of them try to drive their cars, and hit a fence instead. I don't know if you know what a slingshot is, one of those cars, that it's actually like a three-wheeled motorcycle. So there's usually like a couple people that have a slingshot. Well, part of the thing with, with a slingshot is that if you turn the music all the way up, it is loud, I mean, so loud. So loud that at 2.30 in the morning, it seems like they're under our bed, just boom, 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 And I'll tell you what, I can't hear the lyrics. I can't understand the lyrics. It's not building me up. So I call the police and complain and say, the lyrics are not, there's too much bass, it's not coming through, right? That's what's happening in Corinth. It's all about like people clanging and there's no, for real, there's no straightforward teaching that's happening in the church in Corinth. And Paul wants to take that culture that's infused with this random loudness and say, let's figure out how to build each other up. Here's here's a takeaway for this, this first section here is that giftedness without character leads to disaster. In our culture, giftedness without character leads to disaster. When you read the qualifications for leadership in the local church, it doesn't say like, man, that guy should be a really good speaker, should be super organized. It just says he should only be loving one woman. It says he shouldn't, he, sh- he shouldn't be drunk on a lot of wine. In our culture, what happens is like, man, you're so gifted, let's lift you up, let's put you on a pedestal, let's give you a platform. Thank God for our musicians, but thank God that they are building something together. There's no I in team, Right? It's okay to, like, celebrate in the end zone. But you also want to high-five your teammates. So the culture of the community matters so much. And think about a family, okay? Without love in a family, it it leads to broken relationships and isolation, right? Without love in a church, it leads to uh, just kind of coming into your own shell. The unholy trinity downtown is is not perfect, right? we got to break out of ourselves. Religious activity without love is self-defeating. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just say, there's a more excellent way. There's a better way, which is what he goes to in the next little section, which is the extraordinary character of love. And my challenge here as you listen to this is, Ask God to help you acquire a deep, personal, relational understanding of love. No matter where you are, no matter how old you are, how hard your heart has sometimes gotten, ask God to help you become more personal, more relational in a deeper way. Paul lists in verses 4 to 7 no less than 15 different characteristics of love. So it's a lot, okay? Love is like this. Love is not like this. Love is like this. Love is not like this. But he's speaking of this magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. Love is patient. Anybody been impatient this week? If you ever need to like con- confess sin, this is a great little thing to read. Honestly, like my wife's so much better at apologizing to me than I am to her. She asked me if I'm mad. I'm like, no. It takes me like three days to realize I was mad a couple days ago. I'm just teasing. But, but this section helps me so much to be able to say, sorry, I was impatient. Sorry, I was unkind. This is what Paul wants the culture of the church to be like. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This is like a multifaceted understanding of what love really is like. That's a lot. It's not It's not merely like a dance party here. It's not merely this instant attraction here. Our culture has defined love primarily as whatever internally I desire, that's what love is. Paul's already dealt with that a couple chapters ago. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Just so you know, Paul is like taking a little pen knife and kind of digging with each of these words, because almost every single one of them relates back to something else in the book. Like, well, love is patient. Guess what? In 1 Corinthians 11, it was like, hey, everybody, even though those people are poor and we're rich, let's walk into this room and have communion together and get drunk and not wait for the other people to eat. That's why he says love is patient, because they're totally impatient. When he says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, remember in chapter 5, Paul says, and you guys are arrogant. About what? Somebody has his his father's wife, someone sleeping with his mother-in-law, and you are proud. So this isn't like two lovey-dovey people standing up, and it's like, oh, love is so disconnected from life, and it's just this... It, He's like saying, correction to the church, you're missing it. He's writing to people who sexually have insisted on their own way. It does not insist on its own way. In our culture today, it's like, no, what I want is what I get. And we insist on it. It's not irritable or resentful, it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Paul isn't just describing some kind of sentimental love. He's describing robust, Christ-like, agape love. Remember, 1 John says God is love. So this is in one sense, this is like a description of him. Now you might say as you hear these words, I don't know if I can do all that. And the answer is, that's right, you can't. Part of what this passage forces us to do is to go, dear God, where am I going to get the internal resources and internal strengths to live like this? I'm going to repent. I'm going to come back to the cross. I'm going to ask God for more of the Holy Spirit because I was rude this morning with somebody. Love is God's lever to lift the world. It's patient or long-suffering. It's kind. There's like a tenderness to love. I, in our, our world today, it's like, I'm sorry, I just got to tell you the truth, okay? But there's a little bit of a tenderness here. It doesn't envy, that that is, desire what other people have. It doesn't boast, doesn't elevate their own, our own positions or accomplishments. Man, think about how caught up in arrogance and rudeness our our culture seems like it is right now. It's almost like Twitter is the place to out-rudeness somebody else. I just got to be honest with you. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. You, you know, when you're irritable. My, my mom used to say to one of my brothers, why are you always so crabby? Like, how do you get out of that one? How do you respond to that, you know? It's tough to, but we can be sort of like people just touch us. We're like, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Think of our culture today. Our culture rejoices at unrighteousness. That's our culture today. But I also want you to think of this, that this is, these are characteristics that Christ fully embodied. So look up to the cross for a second. How could he hang there? Because he was patient. How, why would he hang there? Because he was kind. Why would he hang there? Because he's not insisting on his own way. If he insisted on his own way, he'd be like, nice plan, oh, Father, but I'm coming down. Like when you were irritable, he died for your irritation the creator of the universe like who else should be arrogant or boastful right hey I made this little thing over here I made the universe friends let this be the characteristic of the church let's, let's ask God to give us this kind of culture That this is seeping through patience Not boasting. Acquire a deep personal relational understanding of love. Recognize the disaster of missing love. And then the last thing I want to show you here is just embrace the complete superiority of love. Here, we just sang about it. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man or woman ascribed by trade to write the love of God above? would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. However much you know and understand about God's love right now, you're just scratching the surface. The New Testament and Paul believes that out of all the qualities, all the gifts, there's one thing that's greater than it's love. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. And he goes back to compare their favorite gifts. He says, as for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the the partial will pass away. Now, I'll just take a quick step back, give you some technical language here. In general, when you think of spiritual gifts, there's kind of two main views of spiritual gifts. One's called continuationism. And the other one is called cessationism. So one means that the spiritual gifts continue. And the other one means that not all of the spiritual gifts continue. So cessationists say, hey, some of the spiritual gifts have died. And some, if you're a cessationist, they often turn to this passage to say, see, Paul says that some of the gifts will end. My own view and, and really the view of Holy Trinity is that the gifts continue. So they're continuing. What he's talking about here is the day when Christ comes back, right? Because right now we prophesy, but it's partial. Right now we have knowledge, but we don't have the... In comparison with how much God knows you right now, (laughs) the amount that you know him is tiny. And in comparison with how much you will know about God, like Zoom is great, right? Right? but you're muted right now, right? Zoom is great, but when you actually got to be with people for a second, it was like, you are so three-dimensional to me right now. And Paul is saying, look, you have like this Zoom screen relationship with me right now. You're gonna go through the screen and meet God face to face. And your knowledge will then be complete you think in heaven people need to stand up and prophesy? No. So Paul is saying that love remains. He says, "You know what? When, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Five. This I hadn't announced this yet, but five weeks ago I became a grandparent. Praise God. And uh, thank you. It's like when your child, who is a gift, gives a gift, but." A little tiny baby, she does nothing. Even if, like, it seems like her mom and dad have to do everything for her. Or a four-year-old, like, how much do they know? It's so amazing to watch a four-year-old, like, acquiring language, you know? Like, this is happening in real time. Like, those words are going from our mouths into that person's. But if you talk the gibberish of a four-year-old at work, it's not going to go so well for you. So Paul is saying, look, it used, we're going to be like, when we get to heaven, it'll seem like we were just little kids fumbling around. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Really what he's saying is love's going to outlast everything. You ever been driving along the road and it's raining and it's dark and then and you can see like as far as your headlights and then the lightning strikes nearby and you can see the whole road? What Paul is saying is like we're just like driving by our headlights right now but there's a day coming when everything will be illuminated. Love will outlast everything. He says, now these three abide or these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why the greatest? You're not going to need any faith anymore in heaven because you'll be seeing it with your own eyes. You're not going to need any more hope in heaven because you just (laughs) hope's going to be like tossed away like an old t shirt and you're going to be clothed in righteousness, you're going to be clothed in hope. You just be wearing it. But love will be the atmosphere of the new kingdom. You're going to like dive into. You're going to dive into love. So love is completely superior. Why did why did Jesus come to earth? For God so loved the world. He is love. So look at your life and look, where, where's the impending disaster? Where's the love that's missing from my own heart and life? And acquire a deep personal and relational understanding of love. Just take a step, like where do you need to grow? Where do I need to grow? And then embrace the complete superiority of love. Maybe you feel like you can't do this, you've been hurt too many times. Maybe you feel like you want to lock up your heart and put it in the glove compartment of your car and maybe take it out when you can. C.S. Lewis admonishes us this way. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. I know that sounds silly, but... There are people who have pets that are sick or who have died and they gave their heart to it and it's breaking their heart right now. Lewis keeps going. He says, wrap your heart carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless and airless, it'll change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable, to love is to be vulnerable. So take a risk. It's an adventure to embark on a life of love. And it's, it's the lever that God raises the world with. It's his main tool. So dance in his freedom, awake and alive. Jesus, our savior, his name lifted high let's bow our heads in prayer father in heaven help us to learn the language of love maybe we feel a little clobbered by this description but help us to unlock our hearts to you again today to your magnificent marvelous and matchless love we pray this in christ's name